Welcome to episode 46 of Love with Elise Peck. I'm your host, Elise Peck, best-selling author on the topic of love, personal one-on-one love and life coach. And through this podcast, I bring you interviews with a diverse range of people who do currently have the love that they want so that we can investigate, explore, learn, enjoy their story and take the wisdom of how people do get the love that they want what is the mindset what are the common clues what is the energy what is the thought processes the beliefs the attitude the energy the effort that goes into getting the love that you want and today it was a tough choice do I call this uh, survival mode love or do I call this neurodiverse love um because it's both or do I call this rebuilding love like there's so much in this this is such a pivotal important conversation today Uh, I remember being at a rock bottom in my relationship after we had children and um, how scary that was and how when you are in survival mode and both of you are in survival mode it is so much harder to build the love and create the love and to have the love that you want. And yet it is a time when you need it the most. You need the support of love in your life, um, but you are both completely depleted. It's a really intense struggle. And I think more and more now that we have less of the village, because more of us travel, we move to new locations, maybe less of us have psychological safety with our original family. Um, that it doesn't feel like that they are a secure base for whatever reason. I think there's a lot of us now that we have children, we feel very alone and then our marriage starts to really crumble. And uh, here we have Rach Wilson. Now, Rach is a relationship and transformation coach for couples with neurodiverse kids. So she has three children with various labels, right? She's got four children total and three of them have various labels. And after she survived her own hell year with her husband, um, who she's been with for 22 years, Uh, she has now chosen to focus all of her professional um, expertise on helping other people uh, to build resilient relationships that can survive the hardest times. So here we dig into how do you get through the hardest times? What are some things that really helped her to get through the hardest times? And I know a lot of people can relate to this. A lot of people reach out to me, (gasps) oh my gosh, (laughs) Uh, because I shared my story of, of my relationship rock bottom after we had children. Um, A lot of people can relate to that and they're like, wow, we are both drowning. I've got nothing left to give, but I can't, you know, go through a divorce either. That will just make things worse, like help. And so this episode, very powerful. It also helps you to empathize and get a look into what some people are dealing with. Um, I think there can be a lot of black and white thinking in the dating space and the relationship space. Like, "Mm, if your partner does this, they do not love and respect you. Oh, if this and this and this, ah, if you're really in love, ah, there's so much rigidity around like, no, that other person should be a computer program that if you push A, B happens. Like, there is so much black and white thinking around relationships and relationships are not black and white. (laughs) They are, they're all the colors, which is partly why on the photograph of this podcast I have like this very colorful microphone thing it's like it's all the shades baby it's there's no black and white it is it's got everything it's very complex just like life it is messy and complicated and black and white thinking can really um, throw you off and have you giving meanings to things that aren't actually empowering and aren't actually getting you the love that you want and so I would just say keep an open mind keep an open heart and step by step be asking yourself like how can I keep creating the love that I want and that's hard when you're in survival mode when you're in fight or flight but dive into this episode here's some real practical tips get some absolute insight from both Rachel Rachel not Rachel sorry Rach Wilson 
and myself who have both had our hell year, our relationship rock bottoms, right? Our, our challenges and have rebuilt the love, have created the love again, um, on, uh, you know, through those times. So, uh, and I've come through, you know, Rach talks about where she is now, there's room for growth and this and that. Um, my situation's a little bit different. I don't have three children, I've got the two. And um, certainly, I can definitely tell you, you can rebuild up the chemistry, the sex life, all of this sort of stuff. It's all very possible to re- to build whatever you, you want. And there's some real clues in here as to how to start stepping your way in the direction of what you do want. All right, it, this is, um, yeah, I would have been thrilled to find this when I was in a, a tough spot. So enjoy. Welcome to another episode of Love with Elise Peck. It's Elise Peck here, your host today. Really, really thrilled to be speaking to Rach Wilson. Now, Rach is a relationship and transformation coach for couples with neurodiverse kids. She has three of them with various labels. And after surviving hell year with her husband, she has chosen to focus all of her professional expertise and personal experience, helping other couples build resilient relationships that can survive the hardest times and thrive beyond them. I mean, I am bursting at the seams to get into this. Welcome, Rach. Thank you for having me. Yeah, my absolute pleasure. My absolute pleasure. All right. So, I mean, I usually have a framework, which is about, hey, what is the relationship we're talking about today? It's with your husband. Um, I, I guess we'll just, well, well I, I really want to zoom ahead and get into the juicy parts and unpacking <laughs> the, the how year. And the, but let me just quickly ask, how long have your husband and you been together? We've been together nearly 22 years. Wow. 22 years. Amazing. And how, how far into that? Like, how long had you been together before you had kids together? Um, we had children within, within 12 months, just over 12 months, we had our first child, but we, I'd already been married before and had a child to that relationship. So she's now 24. Okay. Um, but we had our first child when, yeah, just within a, 18 months of being married. So she is now 18. Okay. And, uh, and then in our forties, we decided to go back for just one more and get our boy and we had our boy um but the door was not quite shut and apparently it does only take once and pulling out does not work and we ended up with another little girl what does not oh pulling out does not work yeah i've heard that um oh hang on so you have this original 24 year old and then you have um how old's the next one 18 18 and then you you have a bit of a break from having babies Mm -hmm. and then um what's the age gap between the 18 and the next two 12 years. So then we wait 12 years. Five and a half and three and a half. Pardon? And now five and a half and three and a half. Oh my gosh, I love it. I love it. I love it. Totally relate because I was like, oh my gosh, the door is so shut after my two children. Like, I like, there's like literally no way I would um, change my mind. And now that my youngest is off to primary school next year, my ovaries are going nuts. I'm so clucky. And I I would have believed it. So I, I totally love this story of like done and then like let's just let's maybe just one more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing uh the way that nature is very convincing with the hormonal activity and things like that. Um I love that. So that has been quite a journey that 20, 22 years did you say with your husband? Yes. Yeah, so it's quite 22 years and um, three of your four children have neurodiverse labels. Mm-hmm. And 
you survived hell year. When was hell year? Uh, hell year only finished in March last year. March last year. Mm-hmm. So what is that? 20 March, 2020 to March, 2021. And that was when your younger children were like, what, four and two. Um, so Jackson is five now. It would have been three and one. Three and one, right. And I would, I've got to say, I think having a three and a one year old is something that I don't know if that was part of it, but that, that is pretty much people's hell year is very often. I had a hell year and mm-hmm. mine was timed with a um, almost one year old mm-hmm. and a three year old. That was my hell year. Yeah. So yeah. interesting that um, those having so much chaos um, can sort of just put so much pressure on the relationship. Uh, that it's like it's just too much it tips you over I need to just for the sake of continuity and for what uh, people listening to this expect I do need to just quickly ask you about how you attracted in your husband in the first place because so I've got different people in the audience some people are married and they just want more love within their marriage and they want to they're in the power struggle it's you know the love is like really a struggle their partner's like their worst enemy and they're here to understand how people have made it work but then there's other people that don't have love yet and they're like how how did you get there so just really really briefly I would like I would just love to know what was your mindset right before you met your husband were you looking for love when you met him well, I had only left my first husband four months before that. So hell no, was I looking for another husband? And I think that is the key. Yeah. Um, I was not looking for another husband. I, because I was with my first husband from like 18 through to 20 something. And I never did the, the clubbing thing. So one of the first things I did after I left him was I bought myself some knee high boots, a lot of short skirts, short t-shirts or shirts. And um, I hit the clubs. Uh, so the night that I met my husband was in a club. I had already, I had four phone numbers already. I had had multiple vodkas, so I was happy buzz. Um, and then I saw him in the club and I literally just walked up to him and said, like, are you going to, you know, why aren't you on the dance floor? He goes, oh, I'll get there in a minute. He'd only just arrived with his mate um, and they'd had a few beers somewhere else. It's like 1 a.m. And um, so I didn't take no for an answer. I literally dragged him down to the dance floor and then the rest is history. Oh, I love it. I love it. Interestingly, something that people have, I often hear, said in the breakup space like the breakup is um, one of the best ways to get over a breakup is to find all the things that you couldn't do because you're in a relationship and just go do them so you know um you've absolutely displayed that like okay i've surrendered it i've let it go i've like whatever now what happens next who do i want to like i'm gonna go out and do all the stuff that lights me up that i could i could only do as a single woman that i couldn't do as a coupled up woman so and you were doing it not Correct me if I'm if I've got this wrong, but you said hell no was I were looking for a relationship. So you weren't wearing knee high boots and sexy outfits and getting to the club because you were trying to pick up. You were doing it because it felt good for you. And something I always share is it's never about the action. Don't look at what someone is doing. You you can't emulate someone else because it's never about their actions, about their intent and their energy. So one woman can be going to the club and have total masculine energy because she is there because she's not actually comfortable in the boots and the skirts, but she's baiting and trying to get now that's going to repel guys or we'll get the guys that think oh i can just have a bit of sex with her she looks up for it but not she's not wife material but if you if you're doing it for you if it's your truth and your authenticity and your energy is one of overflow it's not one of need and lack it's one of like self-love totally different energy same action different energy so your energy is like wow i'm gonna i'm gonna have a good time for me i'm gonna do this for my own joy my first husband was quite both controlling and jealous. So I had to shut down my very social butterfly self. 
Um, so when I got out, there was very much like a, a think of a pendulum swinging. So I had shut down so many parts of myself that when I got out, I went to the other extreme. Yeah. So extra social, but I loved the flirting. I loved all of that. And if I had someone that I took home that I wanted to play with, well, that was great. Um, but I was not looking for a husband. It was just, I wanted to explore. I wanted to find out who I was again, because I'd been mum and wife um, and not myself for so long. There was just this, you know, explosion of expression as well as exploration um and then in the process that's when i met my current husband who happens to be my soulmate so yay for that i love that i something i I really love to say is um you'll get the love you want on your path of alignment and your path of alignment is essentially living your life for you for your joy being authentic and for yourself and you've just said i went on an exploration of finding of knowing myself of finding out who i was and experimenting with what actually brings me joy and so you went ahead and did stuff that made you feel you know lit up from within for you and that that is when okay you might be able to force love to happen off your path of alignment and that's it's not going to be satisfying love if you get on your path of alignment and you're lit up and you're doing it for you bam then you get love that is actually satisfying yeah. it came through your alignment and so i love that, that not facing it not in need and just allowing myself to be completely me and then we we lined up he just left his long-term relationship not that long before so neither one of us had been single for very long um, but both of us were the same kind of social person. So his partner was also a jealous type. So between the two of us, we're like, you know what? Flirt your ass off. Have a great night. We'll go home together. Great. Oh, I love it. So you immediately got talking and you noticed a lot of things in common. Um, and is that like, what gives you the certainty this is your soulmate? For someone that has never, some people have never met any energy that feels like a soulmate. And they don't believe in soulmates. And I think you don't believe it until you have the experience. So for anyone listening that maybe is like, oh no, like, it's a business contract. It's a choice. You choose. There's nothing airy fairy, but they haven't had the soulmate experience, right? How would you explain? How did you know it was your soulmate? Uh, I mean, it didn't happen for me straight away. Him, he was smitten from the second that he saw me. So that was fine, but it took me a week. <laughs> My, it was like, there's part of me that couldn't not see him and couldn't respond to his text messages. And we went and had like a, a lunch date. And then we went out again the following weekend. Um, but I think he was also being reserved, like he was on his best behaviour. And my sister kept saying, well, what do you think of him? I'm like, yeah, he's all right, but he's a bit too sweet and innocent. Like he just was, for me, I'm, I like the more exciting types, right? So it took until that Sunday and we were caught up at his place and we were having a night there. Um, and we got into a much deeper level conversation. And my love language is actually quality conversation. So we got into this massive, big conversation, um, asked a bunch of questions and his answers surprised me. Uh, and that's when I really got to see him. And then I'm like, ah, there you are. Mm, mm. And it was from that sort of moment on, I'm like, yeah, okay, definitely can see myself with him. And I went home the next day or something. And I said to my mum, you can get to know this one because I brought a couple of home before that. You can get to know this one because he's going to be around a while. I didn't know it was a forever while, but I just knew we were going to be together for a while. And then over that first six months, we're just... I can't describe it other than at the end of that six months, someone who had already only just left their marriage four months before meeting him. And I asked him to marry me. Yeah. It went completely against the logic. Mm. And I was fighting with my brain multiple times going, no, he can't be the one I've got to, I've got to live on my own. Cause I haven't lived on my own. I've got to do that first before this has got a chance to be a really good relationship. And in the end, I'm like, fuck it. My heart was in. Yeah. I'm all in. 
we'll just we'll make do it at our own pace we'll go do what we want to do and and it's been amazing i love it i love it um that was actually something i was in a, a podcast interview with someone the other day they were interviewing me and we we're talking about intuition and i said um people often mistake intuition and anxiety but intuition is more of like it's a knowing that's calm and sometimes it's just bloody inconvenient you're like stop it <laughs> like no, yeah, no i don't want that to be my path that is really like challenging and i love that you said that that you were like almost like oh no i had this idea of how it was meant to be i was meant to do this i was meant to live here and i was meant to do that and it, all the ducks were going to line up but then oh, yeah. there was something deeper going well life is not like that sweetheart this is your path no, life isn't <laughs> ducks that line up life is squirrels lots of squirrels <laughs> squirrel that's so funny um and something you said in there is that uh something i've heard about you know how do you know that a guy is into you and one of the telltale signs is that he's on his best behavior um that if he doesn't really care he'll be a little bit more relaxed a little bit more flirty a little bit more um bold and bold and because there's not much to lose no skin in the game but if but if he's if he's interested that he th there'll be a little bit more of a um yeah that he'll want to be on his best behavior reserved. and so it's interesting that you were saying that he was a little bit more reserved and it was just because he was sitting there smitten right um, and unable to really relax and, and let that, that, that was like a good sign. And it's a thing that naturally paces it out. And I love as well that we have this, um, what I, what I really love is sometimes I'll have like clients will ask me, should I do this or should I do this? Should I message or not message? And, and it's like, um, it doesn't matter what you do. It matters. What is the thing, uh, that is your inner inspiration? Like what is. If you're going to message, are you messaging from scarcity or an inner pull? Uh, mm. Is it from abundance and overflow? Is it because this needs to be expressed out and I don't even care. Like the way you know, if you were to message him and you didn't get a response, is that going to break you because you were actually looking for something from him? Mm. That's how you know it's not your truth. If you're going to message and you don't care if he responds because you lived your truth by saying that thing. Mm that that's the right energy so it's like who needs to propose well did you get an inner inspiration and overflow from the calm quiet knowing that it doesn't matter if he says no or yes you just know you need to ask that question that is that it's it's an energy it's not um a framework and so i just for anyone listening going like was that feminine energy that she asked him it's like it was because if you listen to her if, if you listen to rach it's um, it was nothing scarce about it. She was trying to resist it. She wasn't like trying to force life to happen. That was her truth. And she was trying to like, oh my God. And then it just, it just came out because that was your authentic truth. Yes. And I think that, um, it's just a really important thing to, to pick out of that story that is very different as to a woman seeing a man and wanting to lock him down and get him in yeah. out of scarcity. Like that's a masculine energy. And that yeah. is, that is repelling that. Yeah. Oh, I love it. So you asked him before that. So you went from, no, I don't want any relationship and I'm just going to go out and have fun for me to, well, look at that. I feel like there's a saying like you plan, God laughs. Um, I'm not That's religious, true. but you know, Definitely. laughs, whatever. Um, oh my gosh. I love it. So um, you, you proposed to him and what's his response? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yes. So, but I said to him, okay, 
we didn't do it formally at that point because my divorce wasn't even finalized so i'm like okay well we already know i'm going to say yes but i want you to propose to me after my divorce is final like yeah. you set the time you set the zone like get the ring all that sort of stuff um so yeah the day my my divorce was final we were he had a dinner dinner date already scheduled for us um and in canberra at the time the telecom tower which is now like mountain tower um has a revolving restaurant so he took me to the revolving restaurant and then he got down on one knee after dessert and asked me to marry him oh. so of course everyone around us is like oh what did you say i'm like yes <laughs> this was planned a year ago <laughs> Fine. Yeah, yeah. Said, no, now there's something wrong. No, it was, um, yeah, so then it wasn't long after that we got married and then we, pretty quickly after that we had our daughter, Tyler. That is so cute because it's like that is so um, you expressed your needs. Hey, you were so clear you didn't play a game. Well, you should know. You should know. No, no games. Like, hey, here's what I want. Uh, and then you gave him a sense of leadership and, and a sense of um, – autonomy over the situation it does remind me a little bit of how my husband and i got engaged like we had a as i had a conversation like hey like is this heading there or not and i'm like i need a time frame when it's going to happen within and he gave me all right it's going to happen in the next year um but then it was up to him to choose within the next you know so it was like well really i instigated that but it was up to him to make it really happen um so i can relate to that it's like well you've got to just share what you really want yeah and without pressure it's not like hey you must do this for me it's like here's what i want like what are your thoughts and if they're on board great like now they know it's a communication you know and letting go of how you think life is supposed to be and the hallmark card of how it's supposed to look in the hollywood picture and instead moment to moment check in on yourself and move like an instinctual animal mm. um there's a balance to that by the way you gotta move from your head and your heart they gotta be mm -hmm. in them but you you know it's it's kind of um trusting yourself ultimately yeah all right so then you have these beautiful children and um you know i feel like you've got a lot to say and i don't quite know i, I want to unpack it from you what what do you want to tell us about making relationships work with neurodiverse children and making it through a hell year okay so just to give you a little bit of context around what hell you actually looked like for us so both of our littles were having massive challenges. My son was waking up multiple times a night in excruciating pain. Oh. And we would then get in the car and drive him. He would bang his head on everything from his bed to the door, to the car door, like getting him in because he was in so much pain. Wow. So he'd be screaming from the time that he woke up. We would take it in turns. My husband would do the first shift. And the rule was when you get to the end of the second coffee, so when it's giving out, you need to tap the other person in. And some days he'd be tapping me in around 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. Uh, and then I'd have to tap him in again at like three, four in the morning. Um, other times he would be able to keep going until three or four in the morning. On the odd occasion, very rare, I'd actually get a whole night's sleep. Um, so, so sorry, just on that. So basically it was like a marathon and you would both give everything you had to give until you had nothing left to give. Then you'd tap out and tap the other person. Then they were on. You like shift workers. Shift but workers. the idea was you give as much as you can like a true team, like a true handing the button. I've given everything I have to tap out now. And so it really required you to both just be in it. Yep. We we're both in it. We we're both weren't, weren't, we weren't sleeping in the same bed and we weren't sleeping at the same times. Um, sex was definitely not happening because we were so exhausted every day. Yeah. Um, and he would have multiple sessions, like multiple episodes during the night and then sometimes during the day. So 
it got so bad we were spending about 80 percent of the t of our day 24-hour day in the car driving him because it was a sensory environment so it helped him to settle down so once the pain left the car helped to dispel um, the emotional distress that he would be in um so literally we were only getting a few hours of sleep when you're living on coffee um and i'd only had my our youngest corey a year before that um i was he'd already had a three-month stint of not sleeping in that year just after she started sleeping he stopped sleeping we had another stint of that and we'd been changing his diet so he was already gluten-free dairy-free no fruit um low carb definitely no chemicals like this kid had the cleanest diet of any child and still does um so then at the same time our littlest one started having these epic meltdowns moving into these rages like to the point where she would so you know you've got a two-year-old tantrum that's kind of this level and I, she's my fourth child so two-year-old tantrums this is not new to me i can cope with that but then on top of that is an autistic meltdown where she can't stand you talking can't stand like everything's too bright don't touch me um because it, it all her, it's like her senses are overloaded and then above that she would go into these rages so if i touched her she would go at me she'd try to gouge my eyes out rip my earrings out scratch me bite me punch me kick me whatever she could she would just go so imagine like a feral cat you're trying to put into a bath she would fight like that so i'd walk away not walk away i couldn't walk away um you know we, at the i'd have to kind of sit near her but not touch her i couldn't walk away she'd escalate if i touched her she'd escalate but there are times i had to I had to stop her from hurting herself because she would also bang her head and hurt herself just like our son does and it would take me between 45 minutes and two hours to get her through a rage and we were having three or four of those a day oh my gosh so if i wasn't getting her through a rage and then when she would settle down enough she would let me pick her up and then she would lie in my arms and she would cry and i would cry and she would cry and i would cry until we kind of get to the end of that and then she'd either just you know half an hour of sitting in my arms quietly she would just get up and walk around and start as if nothing ever happened um, or she would go to sleep because it was a two-hour event and she was exhausted from all of the the kicking screaming crying at the top of her lungs stuff so um both of them at the same time and at the, at the same time my husband was still working full-time in fact he was doing overtime a couple of weeks through that year uh, I definitely couldn't do any of my business. I literally withdrew from social media. I didn't even have capacity for that. I was in like, to say we're in survival mode is an understatement. Mm -hmm. My body was physically depleted mm -hmm. to the point where come middle to late afternoon, my body would start to shut down. So you know how when you're so exhausted, you lose words. So mm -hmm. you, you like, as an example, I might you'd like to remind me of some of these you can't think of the word but you can think of a way to describe it so like food shovel because i couldn't remember the word spoon yeah so you lose words but then the next stage of that is you lose almost full sentences like the, the words just don't come into your mind they disappear and then beyond that you lose all words so there was no words coming into my mind that would come out my mouth like i couldn't speak there was just nothing there beyond that you lose the ability to understand what people are saying to you. You just, there's nothing. I would stand in my kitchen at the end of the day because I'm beyond exhausted, tears streaming down my face, not being able to communicate and not being able to understand. And thankfully my husband would be able to work out how far into the red I was and go, right, he call on our teenage daughter and say, right, can you have the little one in your room tonight and take care of her? 
and then he would put me to bed like literally go to bed and it, it'd be like four in the afternoon like but then i might get five six hours of broken sleep because i can't sleep when there's a lot of noise in the lounge room i got a lot i'm very light sleeper um but at least i could rest and sleep until it was my turn to drive and we would do that day in day out it's like um fight flight freeze it's like you went into freeze yes but that's what the body does when it's so far burnt out yeah. it has to conserve energy so body systems start to shut down mm -hmm. um i've recently learned and waiting for confirmation that i've got an adhd brain mm -hmm. and this is part of the overtaxed mm -hmm. response it's called nominal aphasia which they typically see in stroke victims mm -hmm. um but a lot of adhds when they get overtaxed they talk about having the same problem losing words losing sentences um what i was experiencing was an extreme version of that uh, i was also experiencing disassociative episodes like when i was driving i would see in my mind i would see me grabbing the steering wheel and driving into oncoming traffic off a bridge into a tree <clears throat> no desire to do it but in my mind as i was driving past i'd see it in my mind Whoa. And it to scare me because i'm like well how long until my my hand just does it um so this is six months into hell year and then that that was enough for me to go you know what i need i need help so i went and saw an integrative um doctor who does both uh medical traditional and like naturopathy um and they did a lot of blood tests to see where my body was at and i was ridiculously depleted and a lot of core nutrients because my body was just trying to keep going on yeah. ridiculous stress so the only thing they could do was give me stupid amounts of supplements and yeah. that was just to stop me from going backwards yeah and you know start inching my way forward i was never going to get all the way back from burnout because the reason for burnout was my son being not sleeping yeah but until we could work that out well, there, the root, the root cause was you're still on the treadmill. Still it on the treadmill. Like, it was yeah. like you were still training for the Olympics. It wasn't like rest. It was like let's fuel you up with as yeah. much. Just try and help you to cope, help yeah. you to cope with this phase, not knowing how long it would take. Yeah. Um, and we kept because we had we're waiting on the next pediatrician appointment or the next specialist appointment. In our brains for that first six months, it was oh we'll get a solution any day now, but when we get to that appointment, we'll get a solution. And it just didn't didn't happen. We kept getting passed from one to the other. And we even had pediatricians say to us, you know, him screaming in the middle of the night and going to the car, oh, that's just, you know, his autism. No, he's in pain, like fix the pain and he won't go to the car. Um, so we had to fight hard to get help, um, you know, and we were constantly waiting for new appointments, but we were still trying to do OT and speech. So during my week, we were still doing therapy for both kids. We were still, I still had to go and get groceries. I still had to, um, you know, cook. I still had to clean. Thankfully, we had people who came to help. Um, and that meant that it wasn't as much of a load, but because we were so burnt out, um, it just really realistically stopped us from ending up in hospital in complete collapse because it was, it was heading that direction like all seriousness it was heading in that direction by the time we got towards the end of the year before we found solutions for both children we were so it was so groundhog day we were barely connecting like for, for we were lucky in that we went into hell you already very strong but it really really took us both to the ends of our capacity yeah. we yeah. because we were in survival mode we stopped doing I mean, obviously the big things, date nights and sex wasn't happening, but we stopped doing the little things. 
When you're in survival mode, the only thing you're focused on is, right, what thing do I absolutely have to do next and nothing else? Now I've got to change a bum. I need to go get a bottle. I need to do this. Now I need to go to a therapy appointment. So I'm only focused on what's in front of me. So I wasn't looking over to my husband and thinking, oh, I wonder how he's doing. Baby, you're doing all right. So there was none of that sort of check-in. We'd walk past each other and we wouldn't touch each other because we were so focused on that thing we had to do. Um, so a lot of the, the little things that you do as a couple on a day-to-day basis just stopped. And I remember having this conversation, you know, I pulled my husband aside and I'm like, where are you? You're like such a zombie. You're so disconnected. You're not even here. Like you don't hug me. You don't touch me. You don't talk to me. And he's like, well, do you realize you're not doing any of that either? I'm like, oh, crap. Mm. Yeah, you're right. So we had to, to come up with a few things that we could do and make a point to push ourselves to do them because when you're in survival mode it's not a natural thing to do we had to push ourselves to do like walk over him and give him a cuddle like he's got his love language is physical affection not necessarily sexual although that helps too but you know while we weren't having any of that even just going up behind him and giving him a hug from behind touching Mm -hmm. his shoulder giving Mm -hmm. him like full-blown body hugs anything like that would be just enough to put something in his love tank to keep going yeah and for me the same um, that and what we called present moment or presence. So these for me are quite strong. I Yes, I'm quality conversation, but when we're both tapped out, there's no words. <laughs> so we had to come up with something else. So presence fast, he'll come up and he'll put his hand on my heart and he'll look me directly in the eyes. And it's the only time sometimes during the day where I actually completely stop. My brain, everything comes into this present moment and I connect with him. Mm. And if it's not that, we sit there and we put our fore- foreheads together foreheads together and close our eyes and just breathe so it's in those moments and they might only last 30 seconds it might only be 10 because that's all we've we've got but a couple of those in a day and I feel connected to him I know I'm in this with him we're in it together we're side we're side by side and back to back because we're doing a lot of co-parenting not a lot of coupling and that's the difference so once we found the solutions for the children and we did um, we fixed my, my little boy's pain and we found that my, my daughter was highly sensitive to salicylates and amines that when we took that out of her diet, the rages stopped and the meltdowns a lot, lot less. Now we're going through a developmental change and she's being fussy on food and that's a whole other, other box. But um, yeah, so 12, uh, March last year, we finally found a solution for him, which was to take out um, FODMAT foods. Literally food was fermenting in his digestive tract Mm. so even though he was already free of everything else some of the veggies i was feeding him and his almond meal muffins were all high fodmat it's interesting isn't it that as parents we try to do everything to force our children to have veggies but there is some wisdom um that was it was a shock to me i've been on a a similar journey to you rach but mine was nowhere near as dramatic um but it was it was a the volume of mine was like a seven out of your ten but yeah. I did, I went on this journey as well. And I found out I couldn't have like spinach and salicytes and all this stuff. Um, and similar thing with my daughter is like there was tantrums, but then she would completely, it was an outer bottom by the time it would last for hours. And by the yeah. time she stopped, she would, she'd say, I don't want to be like this. I don't want to yeah, be no, like They've got no control over it. They just don't know why they're so upset and so angry. Yeah. And my daughter now, we've got a lot of, um, I would not be surprised. I mean, she's already been diagnosed as ASD level two, three, 
and she's got speech apraxia so she has trouble communicating and um and with the salicylates and amines she also self-limits on food so she's sensory very sensory orally um high sensitive high sensitivity orally and she's is it high sensitivity she chews on a lot of things so she's she's constantly stimulating that way um so yeah she self-limits and Mm -hmm. The problem now is that we're getting a lot of, if she's not diagnosed with ADHD, I'd be very surprised. She is nonstop. Um, but we're getting a lot of almost ODD, which is oppositional defiance disorder, or PDA, which is pathological demand avoidance. Now, she's too young to, to say that she's either or both of those. Mm-hmm. I'm noticing the behaviours because we get a lot of, it. she just has to do the complete opposite of what I want. So... If I try to hand her the bottle, she grabs the bottles and throws it. So I go and grab the bottle, I put it somewhere else. She goes and grabs it. Now she wants it. Like, How old is she now? Three and a half. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we've got, if we can get her diet right, because she's not got enough, because she's not eating enough the right foods, it's mm. a very bland diet. Because once you take salicylates and amines out, all the things she wants to eat, she would eat a whole bunch of fruits. She yeah. would eat um, broccoli, avocado, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we would use coconut oil for the, the good fats, but she can't have any of that because it sends a tropo. And who would have thought, uh, I think, and I think this, this, there's a lot to say for instinct and intuition that maybe we ought to tr- trust that maybe children just don't hate veggies. Maybe it's literally making them sick because they might have an underlying um, sensitivity or a gut health issue that maybe they genuinely just need to eat rice and like maybe just eating a white diet is the, less, the least dangerous thing well, to do now. It's safe for her. So if yeah. she eats the, the safe foods, then she becomes a much more compliant and happy, chilled out child. Yeah. But when she starts to eat, the hard part for her is for some of the, the things that have got the salicylates and amines in it, it's kind of like a drug for her. So when she has it, she wants more oh, and she wants a lot more. Yeah. And that's the other, that's the other yeah. way our body responds to something that it's actually not so great with. Wow, it's like an MSG type addiction. Yeah, exactly. That's fascinating. Um, she can't, she loves bananas, she loves avocado, she loves broccoli, and they're all things she can't have. Huh, that's interesting. I love broccoli, and I and I well, I haven't tried it, but I found I had a food sensitivity had to stop it. I was like, oh my gosh, I was into broccoli. Um, wow, I love that you were so determined to solve this. You must have like an incredible mindset, like that you went at um not you know no my child's in pain i'm gonna solve this and you kept trying and the relationship you're like you've got nothing left to give but you and your husband still try to find solutions and i absolutely loved that forwards together thing i thought that was powerful because um i can connect to that from giving birth there was not much you could say or do to me during birth um, but putting my husband, he put his forehead next to mine and I could just breathe like that. And like, that was actually the most help. I still remember it now. Yeah. Um, it was actually incredibly soothing putting your forehead yeah. together. Very, Who would have thought? Very. There's something about it. I don't know what it is, but it just, he can do that. Like if he just comes up to me, my entire being completely relaxes. Just him or when the forehead's together, just him. With him, with him forehead together. Yes fascinating and so did you instinctually find these solutions did you notice oh look that's calming oh when we stare at each other that's calming did you notice that or did you go about finding those tools and trying them out 
I think I instinctively worked that out for myself. Like I've done a lot of personal development over the years. I'm the one that goes out and does all these courses and trainings and, you know, all these things. And I'm like, yeah, let's move to Melbourne. He's like, okay. (laughs) So he's the, 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 well, he's the the typical, he's the only neurotypical in the house, actually. Um, Being ADHD, we tend to be more risk takers where we chop and we change and we're like great ideas. We don't always think them through. Um, So I'm the instigator of all the, the change things that we do and all the new, all the, the adventures that we go on um and he's learned that once i've got my brain into gear it's like yep we're doing it he's like okay i'm just gonna hold on for the ride (laughs) off we go um so yeah i just in somewhere in amongst all of that um that's where i I either picked it up or i saw it somewhere or got him to do it and just because it was so powerful when he did it Mm. like oh that Mm. more of that so when i he's not a big talker so getting quality conversation is not easy for him um but if i can get that occasionally great but if i can get those present moments that'll keep me going for a lot longer so i don't need as much quality conversation from him so it's really been your determination and your self-awareness like as in you you clearly were determined that you weren't going to let this ship go down you were like no 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 and so you started noticing what's working and being intentional about knowing, noticing what worked and then having the conversation to invite more. So there's a lot of intention, self-knowledge, self-awareness, yeah. what is working, and then effort. Yes. To not just let the relationship die, which yeah. could, have been easy, could, have been, could have been easy to do when you're in survival. Like no one would have blamed you. Hey, we had this really intense year. It broke us. Like, but yeah. you, what, what do you think has been the difference between you making it through that stronger versus it, it, break, it falling apart? Um, I think the biggest thing was me having the skills in communication, in understanding, like I've got a real understanding because I've done transformational coaching, mindset, emotions, like a whole decade of more than a decade of this level of work. I understand human beings. So when I work with a couple, I can see, his behavior and how it triggers her and her response and how it triggers him. And I can see like the dynamic mm-hmm. and how, like, cause our relationship dynamics are so fluid. You only have to change one element. It changes the relationship and, and changes the way the other person responds. So in good ways and bad ways. Yeah. So in having that knowledge and a fair amount of self-awareness um, allowed me to kind of coach us through that because when he he doesn't have the same level of self-awareness for himself so yeah. i can see him and i can see when he's getting into what he what we call a black space or black day yeah. which is where it's a depressive kind of thing he doesn't always know why he feels that way whereas i do for the most part and we learned early on in our relationship that when if i would bug him to try and get him to talk to me during that time it was just it made it worse so i learned oh okay he just needs to be left alone when he's in that space he needs to be left alone even though my need to connect was happening for me so as he withdraws because he's dealing with his own stuff my need to connect would try and come back in yeah so when i started to understand this sort of attachment stuff Mm. i'm like ah he needs to to just give alone time so in my brain i'm like okay well i'll give him a few days just pull the kids back keep in the space so he can do what he needs to do and then his job is then when he comes out of that to let me know so that he comes back into the mix and then we can have a conversation if there even needs to be a conversation but sometimes it'd be he doesn't know why he felt the way he did on some unconscious level he was processing something and then he came good okay he's good so i had to go through and learn 
what I needed to heal. So I wouldn't, when he withdraw, I overly try to connect. Mm. And this has been a process in our relationship of, of learning about each other, but also learning and healing our own stuff. And I do a lot more of that work because of that's I'm more emotionally volatile than he is, mm, mm. but he's definitely done the work. He mm. does a lot of the work subconsciously through osmosis. Yeah. yeah. So as I change, he changes as yeah. I continue to get better and I show him and I teach him and I, I say, okay, let's communicate this way. Let's do this differently. Cause one of the things I did instigate in our relationship, having learned a lot about what doesn't work from my first one, yeah. um, I read a book and I can't even remember what it's called now. But there are a few things in it and I thought, okay, I'm going to put those in place. Mm. And one of the problems in my first relationship was we would fight about the same things over and over and over and over and over and over again. I'm like, yeah. I am not doing that again. Of course, scene fights. There's a great book as you're talking think, that I'm thinking of, maybe this is it. It's called Getting the Love That You Want. And it talks about a lot of stuff. But one of the concepts is in the relationship, generally one person is a tortoise and one person is the hare. Mm-hmm. And what that and you need to identify and break that dance. As in during a fight, one person will recoil into their shell and they'll go, they're gonna, their tendency is to pull away. They're the tortoise. The hare will come in harder and faster and they will hail. And the more that the tortoise pulls away, the more they hail, like, love me, love me, love me. And, and the more that they hail, the more the tortoise just retreats. And yeah. that this dynamic is torture for both. Yeah. Um, and so if you're the hailer, you need to learn to stop hailing so that exactly. the tortoise can stick its little head back out and say hi. And if you're the tortoise, you need to learn to not retreat so much, just to keep your head out a bit. But both yeah. need to notice which one they are. And yeah. the hailer needs to pull back and the tortoise needs to pull in. And yep. so we did that and we identified that I was more the healer and my husband was more the tortoise. Thank and you. so we made a commitment that I was always one when we had a fight, I would then seek him out afterwards to have the apology. I was the apology initiator. We yep. decided to break that forever. We, because we identified our thing and our communication was from now on, because my husband is the one that takes longer to process. No matter how much I want to hail and say, love me, love me, love me. I have to go off and self-regulate and say, I'm triggered. And when he is ready, it will always be him that instigates the repair. And that might look one-sided, but that's because we noticed our dance and we noticed that is the version of him sticking his head back out and not being scared that it's in his control to come. So um, I think it's interesting how you just, you couldn't see it listening along, but Rach was doing with her hands, literally the visual of like a fist and then the one coming in, like the tortoise in the hair and the tortoise in the hair. I was like, has she read the book, Ain't the Love That You Want? Um, so sorry, I interrupted you with them saying there was this book and you learned it from your original marriage um, and you reflected and you wanted to bring some of that in. And so that was partly what helped you move through this. Yeah, that was part of it. And the one thing that I always had at the end of every misunderstanding, upset, blow up, whatever it was, was what do we need to do differently so we don't go through this again? Yeah. And we would always come up with, okay, well, in these instances, I need to say blah, 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 so I know. So it would be like a way of shortcutting the communication, getting better at the communication. Um, so we both knew where each other was at or he would need to ask for what he needed and then I would go, yep, okay, cool, I can do that. So we, through those processes, that's what helped us to get better and better at communicating and relating all the way through. Mm-hmm. And even up into hell year was the first time where we repeated some of the yeah. misunderstandings. Under and pressure, it comes back out. Yeah, exactly. And it was not just under pressure, but we, we were, both of us were so depleted. We weren't our best selves. When you've got sleep and whatnot, you can actually pause and think about it, choose your response and then come into the, into the mix. Whereas when you are in survival mode, you don't have that luxury. 
you just don't have this capacity you just react yeah you're out of the prefrontal cortex and you're literally you got fight flight freeze you've only got involuntary action available to you so you're going to play out old patterns so the, the best thing you can do is try find ways to get calm um yeah 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 yeah, yeah but yeah, you, can't. you literally couldn't because you've got three meltdowns you've got no sleep like you're wired on coffee so yeah you're literally survivor <laughs> It is. And it's just remembering like, and we, we'd get to the other side of those and just remember that we're both extremely in survival mode, like so far depleted, it's ridiculous. And, you know, when you could get, when we could get ourselves to that space and remember that the other person is struggling just as much, the other person isn't being able to, to think about things before responding or is snappy because they're just overwhelmed and it's not to do with me or it's not to do with him. It's just in general. So when we could get back to that space, we'd have a lot more c compassion for each other and we try and give each other, you know, both of us were very quick to say sorry um, and just say, look, I'm sorry. I was just so tired. It wasn't actually about you. And it just be able to give that little bit of an explanation. And, you know, again, lots of sorry, lots of just owning it. And um, we just had to, we just had to roll through it. So because we had such a strong relationship going in and it was rocky through that period, yeah. Um, but once we got solutions for the children, we actually had to rebuild our relationship because we'd gotten so used to being in survival mode and survival mode means not connecting, not asking how each other was, not even having awareness of the other person half the time. Mm. So it was, a, we had to consciously choose to rebuild, consciously choose to come back to each other, to start doing the things we used to do before we hit the hell year. Um, and even before we had the two littles, some of that stuff. While our sex life still isn't back on track because it's still, we've still got a lot of load with these two, um, we've found ways to at least put enough in the love tank and, and sexy tank to, to keep going for longer. And, you know, we, it'll all come, it, it'll all get, not better is not the word, but we're so far into better compared to where we were. I wouldn't say we're in the camp of thriving, although we know how to get there. But mm -hmm. thriving for us will be, you know what, when the kids are sleeping consistently and mm -hmm. there's not so much of a mental load that we have to, you know, like with our youngest, we've, it's a mental game to work out what does she want? Like what is what is causing her to trigger right now? How can I get around her? So there's a lot of creative thinking and a lot of brain power that's needed to troubleshoot with her. Um, and then when he gets sick or starts to get sick, we're like, okay, what's happening for him right now? It's a bit more physical exhaustion, being in and out of hospital with him because he's got such a sensitive immune system and gut. Um, so there's a lot of, there's a lot going on in our lives that takes a lot of time and energy from both of us. And it won't be until those kids are a lot older, till they're both in school, till their immune systems are sorted, till that, that load comes down enough for us to get back to closer to where we were before we had them. And we're okay with that. So it's sort of like radical acceptance and going for progress, not perfection. Absolutely. And, and filling in the goodwill ratio. So I don't know if you heard of the Gottman Institute that you need five positive moments for every two um, uh, ruptures, right? And it's kind of like, okay, maybe the sex is not on track or this or that, but what can we do? What can we put in? What can be our five bonding moments? How can we create? The two or three. So we worked out one of the things that really works for my husband is recognition. Mm -hmm. So just a small appreciation because he does do a lot of the physical load. I do a lot of the mental load. He does a lot of the physical load because I'm constantly exhausted in and out of burnout. So I don't have the physical energy that he does. So he fills in the gaps physically. And then I do a lot of the mental working out 
what do we need to do and organizing who needs to do what i'm consciously aware of where every child is at and what they need even my husband which is a lot um but that's where i fit so one of the things he was craving was just well, we all do when you're constantly doing stuff for other people and you've got little ones who can't say thank you mummy you're the best i really appreciate it when you do these things for me mm -hmm. um it's up to us to to do that for our partners like even if he was doing the dishes again like he does every night and just saying babe thank you so much for doing the dishes and me it means that i don't i don't have to get even more exhausted and mm. i know it's a hard road and i know you're exhausted but just know that i really appreciate that you do this for our family because you're the best yeah it takes 20 seconds yeah it's like that Beatles saying like in in the love in the end the love you take is equal to the love you make and say so, yes you might not be getting what you need what can you what love can you create right now though what what could you create because the more that you give the love to someone else that they need okay i'm not feeling loved okay what could i create some love for my husband like what could i i know he likes to his favorite feeling is appreciation and my favorite feeling is feeling like loved and cared for so how can i create some appreciation for him so he's got something in his tank and now he can give me some care um, because he's actually got something to give. Like we're yeah. always waiting for the other person. Someone has to go first. Someone uh, has to go first. Yes, that's right. And, and you've got to think about, well, what is the outcome I want? I want more love. How can I take charge of that? How, what can the I other thing, The other thing that that does when you appreciate the other person, because when you're in a, a Groundhog Day existence and you're doing, doing, doing all the time, um, you can feel very taken for granted. Whereas when you, when someone appreciates the thing that you do, um, it just takes it from going into the resentment bucket yeah. to, oh, I don't mind. Yeah. So if you can take it out of resentment when you're constantly doing for others, it can you can very easily, particularly when you're overtired and overtaxed, it can move into feeling resented, resentful to the children, resent your husband because he's not doing enough, even though he is actually doing quite a lot, but you can't see it from your perspective in that moment. Mm -hmm. um, that just being able to be appreciated all the work and the not just the contribute contribution but the sacrifice that you're making yeah it's it it's empathy and compassion which is very yeah. very hard when we when we're in survival mode we don't have empathy and compassion for others yeah. we're so empty um but if some part of you can think about um what do i want and how can i you know it's sort of like that saying if you want to be a if you want to have a good friend you need to be one yeah. okay my partner's not showing up how can how can i how can I be the kind of person, like I, I know this person, I've been with him, what, 22 years you're saying, and I know I have seen the version of him that I love. I know I have got, so how can I become more of the version that brings that version out? If, if there's a version of me that brings out this beautiful, loving human, um, how can I cultivate more of that? Because I know it, it's, it's like you said, only one person needs to change. And there's another saying, um, you know, it only takes one person to change the steps of the dance for the whole dance to change. Like if you're dancing with someone and someone's leading and then they change the step, you're going to have to change with them. Yeah. And relationships are like that. If the dynamic is not is not what you want, what steps can you change? Um, how can you create some more love? Which is really hard, um, but it's, it's, it's much harder for you to be in the middle of survival mode and then for the relationship yeah, and then end up in a bit of, end up in a divorce. Like, yeah, it's easy. It's it's hard. It's hard to turn toward, but it's going to be even harder if you turn away. Um, what are your tips on if someone is in survival mode right now and they are just deep in resentment and they are like, "Well, I'm just so angry, my partner," and I'm not like, 
what are your um some just some some you've given us some really good wines but just i guess some final tips on um often the resentment comes because there's actually not so much communication happening between them it's a lot of viewing the other person's behavior or listening to their words and then creating not necessarily consciously creating but the story then gets triggered in the mind so there's an automatic emotional response which lets you know it's subconscious crap that you need like stuff that needs to be healed that's why it's getting triggered blah 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 but what happens for most couples is they get triggered by something their partner says Mm -hmm. and because they're so busy with the kids there's not a, there's not the time or the opportunity in that moment to deal with it so it stays there they take it with them and they deal with the kids they don't necessarily talk to their partner and these little things they start off little some a little mm-hmm. um they just keep building 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 and there's no clearing the air there's no getting the partner's perspective because i guarantee you the actual truth is somewhere in between mm-hmm. it's neither one's perspective mm-hmm. solely it's somewhere in between, but the only way to get to the truth is to talk to your partner about, okay, when you said this, and okay, so that's the next stage of that is eye language. Don't go and poke the bear and say, you did this, you made me feel. Um, the, the key is to say, when you said or did this, which is a fact, I felt, which is taking ownership of what happened within you, the story in my head, which is a Benet Brown um, statement, Oh, I the like that. in my head or for me the thoughts in my head you can do either are you know so when you walked into the house and you didn't come in and give me a kiss the thought in the thought in my head was that you um that you just weren't connecting with me and that you know you're you're not loving me right now and whatever the thoughts are whatever the spiral is just bring it out um as the person who's listening just listen just step back and allow that person to verbally vomit what's going on um and then you can say okay well no that's not what happened for me or that's not the way that i viewed it or that's not the truth from my perspective here's what happened for me this is how i felt this is my thoughts you know so you get the opportunity to hear both sides of the story Mm -hmm. Um, and then it's about finding a way to get to some common middle ground it is not easy um, but creating the time and space to, to have these conversations is so, so, so important because if you let them go, it'll just chip away at the relationship, chip away at both of you. So then you react and you are the words that you say, the behaviours that you that you engage in because you're in that, um, in, the, in the immature child is what I call it, that childish part of you that is chucking a tanty or is very upset, who is very hurt, will say and do things from that hurt that won't, won't be that level of maturity that you do want to be at Um, and that's okay having compassion for knowing that your partner is in their inner child right now and if you can see it that way it makes it easier to listen to their stuff (laughs) and not react Um, and it's it's having the opportunity to just feel and listen the other person and then find that common ground and go okay how are we going to deal with that and I think that common ground spontaneously arises when you've both fully heard and validated the other. It reminds me of that book I mentioned, there's a thing called Imago Dialogue, 
where you mirror validate empathize someone they're not allowed to say anything during that time other than mirror validate empathize you and then they take, they take turn you swap back and forward and when my husband and i were in a really really bad place we put in the schedule like one hour a week where we we're going to sit in the bubble and do a margo dialogue here's what's coming up for me mirror validate and, and we would just start flushing out stuff because the goodwill had gone really low because we'd been in survival with two babies as well yeah. um, so i love that you've given a different framework and you've brought in some brene brown there and i love that the story we give it because that's it it is the meaning we give it something happens it's the meaning that upsets that he did this that means he does not love me Yep. You know, and now and now now you're really upset, but you're upset at the meaning. And you've and if you actually have a conversation, so often my husband's been like, Whoa, like, I know. <laughs> it's the same with me. Like, like I least like that would be I that would be traumatizing for my mind to have told me that. Like he, he is shocked that I'm over there feeling unloved because something gave it that meaning. And yeah, it's the communication piece. Oh massively. Um, so you've clearly got so much incredible wisdom. You've been in the battlefield, like unbelievably. And um, like, how can people work with you? How can they find you? Uh, how can people yeah, work work with Rach Wilson if um, they're... Yeah. Yeah. So my website is called divinerelating.com, D-I-V-I-N-E, relating.com, um, which is the best place you can find me. I am on Facebook. I say to people, you can friend me on your on my personal profile. Mm-hmm. Um, just send me a message first so I know that you've heard me on this podcast and I don't just dismiss the because I don't accept a lot of friend requests um, mm-hmm. so yeah you can friend me there so the profile my profile is Rach Wilson 76 and then on my profile you'll be able to see that I've got a relationship support group for couples who've got neurodiverse or even just high needs children whether they're um, diagnosed or not uh, if you've got high needs, challenging children, then the, the group is going to give you all of this stuff for free. There's a lot of, I've just launched it. There's going to be a lot of content. I've got a little course that I'm going to produce in there called Calm Conversation um, or Calm Communication. And uh, I've got a virtual workshop coming up that I'll be running on a regular basis where I'll be teaching some of this stuff and, and working through it. So, yeah, find me on Facebook, find me on my website, and you can email me at rach at, at divinerelating.com. Awesome. So the Facebook is like facebook.com forward slash Rachel Wilson 76. And that's your profile. Rachel Wilson, R-A-C-H. Wilson. So yeah. W-I-L-S-O-N 76. Great. And I'll put um, a link to her website and to Rachel's website and that Facebook link. Um, yeah. I'll give you a link to the group as well. And you can add that there. And anybody awesome. who wants to join the group can come find me there too. Yeah. I'll put it in like the caption when you go on the podcast. If you're listening, it should be in the caption section below. Um, Rachel wow you've uh what a warrior what a warrior and what an incredible attitude to find the wisdom through the experience and to persevere and to find the solutions in the middle of the storm just um, absolutely acknowledging you for like coming through all of that and um i saw this thing once and it said uh, the best people are those that go through the through the fire and come out holding buckets for others. Like, well done for holding the getting through the flames, but coming out holding buckets for others. I think that's the coolest thing ever. Is there anything else that you want to share on relationships, parenting, love? Um, before I say thank you and bye bye. Um, only one more thing that typically when you've got neurodiverse children, uh, one at least one parent is also neurodiverse, but often they don't know it. I only worked it out because my children were having certain struggles and giving me burnout, which led me to find out that I've got an ADHD brain. So understanding your partner when you've got a neurodiverse partner and a neurotypical partner, there's a whole other dynamic um, that happens in there. And it's worth 
understanding the neurodiversities of your partner to understand what their strengths and their weaknesses are on that level. When you understand your partner on that level, then you work together as a team to go, okay, well, this is my strength and this is my strength. Great. Well, how can I help you with your weaknesses? What strategies can we put in place to make it easier in our home? Like for someone who constantly forgets where the keys are, you know, different things that, that become a partnership. And you've, I found by having an understanding that one of the partners is neurodiverse, it helps to tap into that level of compassion and understanding you ah, okay your brain just doesn't work like that rather than you're not trying hard enough why don't you just remember that why don't you just do this thing which is like often a big part of the conflict between partners mm-hmm. so that is something while i don't have it out on the outside of what i do mm-hmm. um having worked through my own neurodiversity and continuing to do so and understand how my brain works differently and helping my husband to understand me Mm. has given me a whole other level of understanding and strategies to help couples to come together who are also in different camps when it comes to their neurodiversity. That is so beautiful. Honestly, sometimes I suspect I'm ADHD and my husband is ADD. Um, I can get really hyper-focused and really, and he can be very, very forgetful. so yeah it's it there is a level of compassion and looking for what does the person bring to the relationship um you know and yeah i guess a team mentality and very much team mentality and letting go of the fantasy that there is like that that anyone is anything other than a human with strengths yeah yeah and the beautiful thing about relationships and that's the way they're designed although this is not the way a lot of them work relationships are designed to help you both to heal your stuff as you stay together Mm. the problem is if you don't have the tools the awareness and the knowledge Mm. you when you hit a road bump where one of you doesn't have one of you is triggered and doesn't understand that they're triggered then that's where the toxicity comes in they start to be damaging in the way that they say and the things that they say and the way they behave and then the other person gets defensive and then we have this complete upset and blowout that becomes damaging to the person as well as the relationship now that's the that's what happens when you don't have the maturity the skills or the tools when you have all of that Mm. then as triggers get triggered Mm. because we all come into relationships with our own baggage the then you you've got the tools to be able to go ah she's triggered cool all right so now validate yep absolutely understand why you felt that way Mm. and that wasn't the truth of what happened from this side and and then you you communicate through it you get to an understanding level and Mm. then if you've got like um rejection or abandonment issues as he keeps showing up and not abandoning and not rejecting but loving you completely that starts to heal that And as you show up for him, he heals whatever stuff he is because we've got a puzzle piece subconscious pattern. Whatever you're, whatever you're sensitive to, guaranteed, he will trigger mm-hmm. and vice versa. So we match our partners because we see the strength in the other person and we feel weak. But then when we get into the relationship, that can come across as controlling and we're constantly submissive if it's not worked through. Mm-hmm. So when you've got the maturity, the tools and the, and the knowledge, those upsets become a bonding experience that heal both of you and strengthen the relationship. And then you can withstand anything that life throws at you and you will thrive beyond it. Mm, yeah, I think conflict is like is the doorway to intimacy. If, if you've learnt 
the most important relationship skill, which I really believe, apart from communication, but it's part of it, is validation. Mm. It is, I see your reality and it makes sense. I have a different reality. Mine can also make sense. And now how can we make both of our realities work together? <laughs> yeah, and I see that as like the three pillars, like when I do my big program, the Thriving Love, Thriving Us program. Mm. Um, I've broken it down into the three pillars. So one is communication because mm-hmm. that's a skill and most people don't have that skill. We grew up with parents... Uh, and we, we tend to, we wing it with our parenting, we wing it with our relationships, we base it on what we grew up with. And I don't know many people who actually grew up with parents who are stellar at communication and relating and loving each other and, and had a healthy, healthy, happy relationship and we're stellar parents. Mm-hmm. So we all come into these relationships and we all come into parenting with baggage, with unhealthy patterns and behaviours. Mm-hmm. Um, so the three pillars in my program and everything I teach are related communication skills, mm. relating skills, which is what you're talk, talking about. How do we get on the same page? How do we act as a team? How do we understand each person's perspective? So I teach all of that. Mm. And then the third pillar is developing emotional maturity, which mm. is a big chunk of that is healing our own crap. Self-regulation. Self-regulation, learning and getting, building that awareness. As we start to dissolve and heal our triggers, a lot of that is a natural evolution of that. Because yeah. we're not triggered, now we can access the brain space to go, huh, I'm feeling a little bit resentful on that one. Let me just take a breath, yeah. work what that is out. When I work it out and I need a little bit of input from my partner to completely resolve it, then I go to my partner and go, right, when you said this, I mm-hmm. felt this was the meaning I placed on it. Now I'd love for you to tell me what your perspective was so I can put this to bed. Mm, beautiful. I love that. Yeah, that was a really important piece for me as well, was learning the dance between co-regulation and self-regulation. Because when you are the healer, when you're the person who says, love me, love me, love me, anything other than someone fully regulating you feels like abandonment. And you have to learn how to meet them in the middle and interdependence of, yep. I'm gonna, I am going to come in like 50% of my own self-regulation and I'm going to turn toward you to help me regulate the other part. It's yep. kind of, there's, whereas I think if you have more the anxious attached or even disorganized yep. can be the healer, um, if you're more the healer, um, you're expecting 100% regulation from some. You you think you can bring everything to them and vomit it rah, like a dragon, uh-huh. and that they know how to contain you, but they don't. You've got to come in and you've got to buffer it with your own self-regulation, yeah. um, so that they can. Uh, you're you're digestible enough for them to co-regulate. That was a really big dance for me. It was moving yeah. in, in enough of the in the inner regulation. So that sounds brilliant, Rach. Um, yeah, I love it. I love your, sometimes I wonder if the gift, one of the gifts of ADHD is as a coping mechanism, you develop incredible self-awareness because it's the only way to get through life is you feel so different and so strange and no one's going to get you on some level because your brain is thinking differently that you have to learn to bring people into your world by, by, by learning amazing communication skills which requires you to be like how do i take my inside and, and explain it to them because people aren't naturally getting me so i see that you've got amazing self-awareness amazing um communication and a real you know persistent can do solving attitude um yeah it's really awesome so appreciate your time and your wisdom your fighting attitude and uh, what a warrior uh yeah so yeah thank you so much well, thank you very much for having me. It's been a beautiful conversation. I've enjoyed it. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, my absolute pleasure.
That was a fantastic conversation. I really enjoyed speaking to Rach Wilson today uh, on her story, on her wisdom, on 20 years of relationships, of being in the wrong marriage, being in the right marriage, how to build through the tough times, the kind of attitude that gets you the results you want, you know. Uh, no result is going to happen to you without the right attitude. So number one attitude is how, what can I do? Not what can anyone else do for me? What can I do? What is in my control? What can I create? What can I bring to the table? Uh, and you saw that with, with Rach is she just, she started looking for solutions and she talks about how when she started changing the dance and, and she started changing her steps, it changed her husband's steps and I can certainly relate to that is very often uh, as a you know this is a generalization but very often feminine energy women are more relationship oriented they're more the people if I look at this episode you know 80 something percent is women any relationship person is going to tell you the vast majority of people consuming and working relationships um, is women and so very often it is on the on the woman because it's her it's her her interest and her desire and she is more relationship oriented to take personal responsibility and start learning how she can be a match for the relationship she wants and I think a lot of women will build resentment for that and see that as woe is me rather than seeing that as an opportunity to grow and to know your power and to witness how when you shift your inner world you have the power to create a whole new outer reality and that's exciting and you get to grow and you get to witness your own empowerment you get to witness just how in control of this whole thing you are. Oh my gosh, I work on myself and now other people love me more. And that is exciting. And I think that is the attitude. It's I get to be the person that that gets empowered and figures this out. I get the satisfaction of noticing my power and how much, uh, you know, the great thing is, okay, if you feel resentful, oh, I've got to do this stuff. Oh, why do I have to do it? Um, because you want the result. And it's not that you're doing it for your partner because at the end of the day, if you want the love, you have to learn this skill set. So if you didn't create it with them, you're going to have to learn how to create it with someone else. So it's not you're not even doing it for your partner. You're actually doing it because you want love. You're doing it for you. You're figuring out how to get love out of another person because you want love. It's actually not for your partner. It's because you want the result of more love. And I think that attitude is so important. And I think i got to say it, a lot of women fall into, well, he needs to do it. I've done enough. I'm exhausted. It's like, okay, you can sit back, but you're actually not going to get the result because a masculine can only go to the depth of the emotional, uh, of, the, of the emotions and the, um, the energy of the feminine. The feminine kind of sets the emotional tone. So until you know how to self-regulate, until you know how to go deep into your own body and be intimate with yourself and your feelings and hold space, he can't even meet you there. And so it's just, I just want to say if there's one thing we can take away from this episode is Rach absolutely took radical responsibility. I took radical responsibility. And we're both sitting here saying, oh my gosh, self high five, thank goodness, because we got through that. And I think, you know, just think, do you want to get significance out of being the victim and banging the drum of woe is me? Is that where you want to get your favorite feelings? Or do you actually want to get significance and achievement out of being that, that powerful woman who figured it out and stepped into her power and became 
someone who couldn't possibly not get the love that she wants because she just knows how to get love out of everyone because she knows how to show up in relationship. She became a relationship wizard. Do you want significance out of that? Or do you want it out of, oh, it's all his fault. Everyone listen to me about how it's all his fault. Which one? Both of them are going to give you a feeling of significance and connection. Which is the most empowering version? The person who fights for their limitations, who fights to stay stuck, who fights to make the other guy wrong and blame everything on them. Or the person who fights to become better, not bitter. Who fights to actually step into this version that, no, like, how could, a, how could a man possibly resist loving this version? Not because she became better, but because she became such a vessel of love and had such relationship skills and such ability to draw love out of a man that, of course, she's going to get the love that she wants. So that's just something I really want to, I really want to plant the seed on is we all want to get our favorite feelings and we can get them through disempowerment or we can get them through empowerment. Um, and I guess it's just which one do you, do you want to be? You're going to work hard either way. It's going to be hard either way. Which hard are you choosing? Are you choosing the hard where you sit in the pain of not getting the love that you want, but you get to whine about it all the time? Or are you sitting in the heart where you're having to put in a lot of work and try and be very, very patient and skill up and pivot and keep going until you get the love that you want? Which hard will you choose? All right, that's just a little bit... <laughs> Uh, accidental pep talk for today um but I think very necessary and just a reality check that like there is no fantasy there's it's not it's a pet peeve of mine is if people look at me and perceive that I just got lucky and I got a beautiful husband who just treats me well let me tell you if you saw the amount of attitude effort and skill set that went into creating this outcome uh you would not be calling it luck I have been in the relationship rock bottom I have brought out a version of this man that all the women will complain about that aren't currently happy with their partner. Here's this, here's that. Been there, been there, guess how it changed? I changed me, I changed my steps and I got a totally different partner out of him. So I didn't, I didn't find an amazing partner. I didn't find an amazing relationship. I found an amazing connection and together we created, through me really instigating the evolution of the relationship, we created an incredible love and that's honestly that's what it takes. There's no lottery ticket here. It's the people that are willing to put in the attitude and the effort and learn the skill set that get the results. Um, yeah. All right. Now, if you'd like to learn more about me, Elise Peck, <laughs> if you about, hang on, if you'd like to learn more about Rach um, Wilson and Divine Relating, I've popped all of her links in the caption below. I've popped her website, her Facebook group, um, and all of that in there. If you'd like to learn more about me, um, go to my website, elisepeck.com. Um, if, you, if you're ready to take your, your love life to that next level, if you're ready to kind of deal with a lot of your triggers so that you're way better at self-regulating yourself so that you actually have the calmness to then choose how you're going to respond in relationship, and if you're ready to understand what is the skill set that you should actually be choosing to respond with, um, I offer one-on-one. Uh, love coaching. So you can jump into a free strategy call with me there and we can talk about where you currently are and where you want to get to um, and just check if our dynamic has some good chemistry for the results that you want. Um, yeah, then go to the website lispec.com. Now, if you know someone with an incredible love story uh, that has created magnificent love in their life, please encourage them to go to elisepeck.com, go to book now and to book in a podcast interview with me so we can capture their wisdom um, and their love insights because I really truly believe there's no person out there with a great relationship that it happened by accident. 
This is not an accidental thing. This is an intentional thing. And anyone that has that result, they've got wisdom for us. They've got embodied knowledge. They are a relationship master. And so my whole goal with this podcast is to shed, is to shine light on the relationship masters, to give peel back the curtain, to get an insight, to look in, peer into the minds of people that have created a result that pretty much every single person wants, which is the ability, the, the magic, being a magician that knows how to make love appear in their life, more of it. On, on call, you know, and that is that is what is available for you when you're willing to bring the right attitude, effort and skill set to learning how to get the love you want. All right. Bye for now.